0: is up everybody welcome into episode four of all say this with chris castellani i am your host chris castellani we got a whole lot to talk about today it's gonna be a jam-packed show we're gonna talk michigan basketball their season ended last night Lost loss to Villanova. We're going to talk about the direction of the program. Where I think they're going. Can Juwan Howard get this team to a Final Four one day? We're going to talk about that. Actually going to talk a little bit of Lions news. Malik Willis had his pro day over the week. Some people are saying the Lions should draft him second overall. We'll discuss that. And we're going to talk a little bit of Tigers spring training stuff as well. But we're going to start with Michigan basketball. Michigan's season ended last night. A 63-55 to loss at the hands of the Villanova Wildcats, physical game, hard-fought game, ugly game. I mean, it was—the Tennessee game was very fluid and very pretty, which I think is the kind of brand of basketball Michigan would prefer to play. This one was—this was a rock fight, um, and it was it was ugly at points. You give credit to Villanova, who I don't think played very well last night. Um, I thought they—I bet, bet they'll say that they were frustrated with their effort. Now, they're so insanely well-coached, and the one thing that Jay Wright— has learned to do in the latter part of his tenure, really going back to 2016, when he won his first natty there, is they can win ugly. They can be tough and physical and win a game where they only score 63 points. If there's one positive thing, I guess you could call it a compliment, though it's kind of a backhanded compliment, that I could say about Michigan in this game, this one doesn't hurt necessarily it really doesn't now a lot of NCAA tournament losses in the past a lot of losses in general when I think about all the the season-ending losses that my teams have had to go through this is not one of the more painful ones at all it wouldn't even crack like my top 30 even I mean both postseason and regular season because Michigan was kind of playing with house money this season through 31 games was a disaster Everything that could have possibly went wrong for Michigan through 31 games a season did. They had guys who underachieved. They had guys who got injured. They had suspensions. They had COVID. They had a coach who slapped an assistant coach, an opposing assistant coach, in the face and got suspended for it for five games. I mean, everything was just, it was a total clusterfuck. Let's not forget that they blew a 17-point lead in the second half to Indiana to open the Big Ten tournament in a game where some people, for a minute, thought that maybe they were going to get knocked out of the tournament. Because of that loss. It was an ugly, ugly year. For whatever reason, they found it. In the two games, really the the last three halves. The last half against Colorado State and then the game against Tennessee. Probably the two best games they played all season outside of Purdue. The reason this one doesn't bother me, and I said it in my video, dude, is just... Man, it's indicative of who they are. This team, I think, played two and a half. (laughs) really complete games all season. The Purdue game at home, the Ohio State game on the road without Hunter, and a majority of the Tennessee game, especially the latter part of the Tennessee game. But this team would struggle defensively, and when they didn't struggle defensively, uh they wouldn't shoot the ball and when they would shoot the ball they would struggle on the defensive end uh, they were inconsistent this entire season and they were very inconsistent against Villanova it felt like this game was was obtainable it felt like this game was really winnable and in a lot of ways it felt at points like Michigan beat themselves as opposed to Villanova actually uh going ahead and taking it Michigan missed a ton of good looks a ton of layups one narrative that was not talked about enough that I probably should have talked about was that I think Hunter Dickinson was just tired. Typically, a center does not play the kind of minutes that he plays. They just get exhausted, and he missed a lot of shots tonight that you know he's capable of making, and I'm sure he's very frustrated by that. Great player, if that is it for him, an unbelievable career, but not one of his better nights. They had their chances, it felt like, in this game, but that's what made this game so bizarre. After the first half, The game was never out of reach until the very, very end when it was like officially insurmountable. But it never really felt like it was in reach because in order for Michigan to really have that comeback, they were going to need to make a run in which they were going to rail off like six, seven points in a row. And given how inconsistent they were offensively, you just never felt like that was ever going to happen. So frustrating end to a frustrating season. I would categorize this season as a disappointment, not a failure. I'm not always, sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. Depends on how the regular season goes. Somebody who says, hey, you know what? Well, the regular season doesn't matter now because they won a few games in the tournament. No, I'm not going to ignore how bad those first 31 games were. There's a lot of things that they need to improve on, and I'll talk about those here in a second. But the one positive, and I I talked about this with this team all year. The one positive is, despite all the nonsense that went down, as a unit... They always felt united. I, I know that as a team, they probably didn't play as well together as we would have liked. In fact, they didn't. They struggled for long stretches of the season. But there were a lot of moments in which it felt like this team probably could have disbanded. You could have had those those uh, butting of heads, the pointing of fingers. They never did. They bounced back from some really tough losses, and they did find a way to come back in two NCAA tournament games. Speaks to Juan's culture and, and what he's creating. But... Just a bizarre, bizarre team. Not a forgettable team. I can't call them forgettable because this run was relatively relatively memorable. And the nonsense, whether it be the suspensions, the COVID, or the uh, coach suspension, that stuff will will live on in infamy. So it was a memorable season, but not the great one that so many people expected it to be when we saw this team ranked in the top five in the preseason. I'm going to talk about where I see the program right now in a second. And I'll elaborate on this at some point in the future. This game, The game just ended, so I'm a little bit raw with my emotions. But I'll just say that if Caleb Houston and or Moussa Diabate or both aren't wearing a Michigan basketball jersey on opening game next season, then the system as a whole regarding how players are drafted, how players are scouted, how players are evaluated in college is completely broken. I'll just leave it at that. I'll talk more about it in the future once I've settled down a little bit. But um, these guys are not NBA ready players. I don't think they're G League ready players. And don't get me wrong, I think they're going to be wonderful college hoopers. And I th- hoopers. What am I ninety years old? And I think they're. I didn't want to. I didn't want to say uh, basketball players again. I think. I think they're going to be excellent in college, and in turn, I bet they're going to end up being excellent NBA players. They're not ready. He wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. We'll talk more about that in the future. But let's really take a step back and break down the direction, the trajectory of Juwan Howard's basketball program. I think that it's only fair that at the end of every season, you ask the question, is this still a program and is this still a coach in Juwan Howard who is capable of in the near future getting a team to a Final Four? After year one, I think it was a mild, yeah, I see it. Everything got canceled, so there was no tournament run to speak of there. After year two, everyone said, oh, hell yeah. Like, they'll get there soon. They should have got there this year. After year three, my answer is still yes, but there are cracks in the foundation. This team will need to improve on the defensive end substantially next year. Uh, There were points. Now, it kind of fixed itself in the tournament. But there were points throughout the Big Ten season in which they were not particularly physical. Their instincts defensively were poor, giving up backdoor cuts, open jump shots. I mean, every time this team played a team that could shoot the basketball, uh, they struggled. They were not good uh, defensively at the perimeter. They were not that good down low uh, defensively. There was a, It was a team that struggled a lot uh, on the de- defensive side of the floor, which is sad because I thought they played one of their better defensive games of the year against Villanova and still found a way to lose because they just... Couldn't make a bucket. I believe that Juan will adapt. Really good coaches adapt. Even coaches that don't win in March, like Brad Underwood, adapts. You look at how how his teams have played each of the last three seasons. I mean, this year they shot way more threes than they ever have. Great three-point shooting team. Great coaches adapt. Izzo did it. Beeline did it. I believe that Juwan will find a way to do that as well. But the reason I'm still cautiously optimistic about the future of Michigan basketball is I want to look for a nucleus. Is there a core of players here? that are going to be capable of getting this team to a Final Four one day. Next year will probably be rough because you're likely losing Dickinson, you're losing Brooks, you're losing Devontae, you may lose one of the freshmen, who knows. So next year could be tough, but I think that many people, myself included, over-exaggerated the impact that these freshmen were going to have right away. One of the worst takes I've had was that, oh man, it's fine that Michigan's losing Franz Wagner. Caleb Houston's just going to take his spot. 95% of the time when you have freshmen, it does not work like that. And especially when you have a freshman who's replacing a player of the caliber of Franz Wagner. So that was silly on my part. But look at the leaps that so many players, especially Big Ten players, take in between their freshman and sophomore years. The three best players in the conference this year were sophomores who just took massive steps forward after good enough freshman years, Jay Nivey, Johnny Davis, Keegan Murray, three best players in the conference, sophomores who were night and day compared to the players that we saw in their freshman campaigns. And guess what? Michigan still has a lot of really young players that I think are going to be really good. I think Frankie's going to take off. I think Kobe Bufkin's going to take off. Terrence Williams is going to be a junior. Played some really good minutes at points this season. I, I mean, I, I think that there is still a core there. They're still recruiting well. Jet Howard's coming in next year. He's a top 100 player, and while he may struggle to, to start off uh, as a freshman, I think he'll be good. Doug McDaniel will probably back up Frankie Collins at the point guard spot unless uh, Michigan decides to use the transfer portal again, which they very well might. I know that the key to the Juwan Howard era will be how he develops talent, but I would so much rather have top tier talent than do what Beeline did. Beeline just happened to be a master of talent evaluation and talent development, but as a fan, Give me four and five star guys over three star guys. And that's the caliber of player that Michigan's been recruiting. And it's one of the reasons why I remain optimistic about the direction the program is going in. There will need to be changes. And there will need to be things that Michigan will have to fix. But overall, I still believe in Juwan. Even if some people don't want me to. I'm moving on. We're actually going to talk a little bit of Lions news here for a second. And I'm I'm a casual Lions fan. I will not claim to be the Lions fanatic the way that I am with the Tigers, the way that I am with Michigan, but I want to talk about something that went down this week because it picked up a lot of steam. And, you know, this is a Detroit Michigan based sports show. So I do feel like it's necess it's a necessity at some point that I do talk about uh the lie downs. Malik Willis, the quarterback from Liberty, had his pro day earlier this week and he turned a lot of heads. I mean, a lot to like. Mobile, athletic, massive arm, accurate. And you look at the draft board, Malik Willis will not go number one overall. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars have a quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, who was pretty darn bad last year, but you, it's basically year zero for him. That that year was such a disaster with Urban Meyer as their head coach, so they're going to retain him as they should. And then picking second, you have your Detroit Lions, and it creates a very interesting proposition because recent history has shown that these Kind of projects, these big arm projects uh, coming out of college have worked more than they haven't recently. Josh Allen, what a home run the Bills hit with that. Pat Mahomes, who had some serious question marks uh, coming out of Texas Tech. Was he a system guy? Was he a, a, a stat patter? Is he a guy who can read defenses? Is his mobility and his kind of uh, erraticness. As a quarterback, this gunslinging slinging mentality of him you know, running around the pocket. Is this going to be sustainable in the NFL? Well, they hit. We won a Super Bowl with the guy. But for every Josh Allen, there is a Jamarcus Russell. For every Pat Mahomes, there's a, a Johnny Manziel. Or, and I know this guy wasn't awful and is still in the league, but a, a Baker Mayfield. Somebody like that. And I totally see the appeal of Malik Willis because the Lions and their fans are dying for that Josh Allen or a Pat Mahomes or a Joe Burrow, a guy who's that face of the franchise, totally turns things around. The the savior, right? The the way that, you know, what like what Burrow's done in Cincinnati. And I've given it some thought. And while I'm not completely opposed to it, I'm not up, I won't be upset if Brad Holmes decides to take Malik Willis. I really hope they don't do it. And I'll tell you why. It really has nothing to do with Malik Willis, the prospect, or the player. It wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up becoming a a huge franchise quarterback. But one big misconception, I think, when you look at the NFL nowadays, and really the last 20 years or so, is that all you got to do to get good is draft a really good quarterback, and it can turn things around. And I think Lions fans, with what happened with Matt Stafford, are proof that that isn't the case. The best quarterbacks in football right now, Josh Allen, right? Josh Allen got drafted by a team that the year before had made the postseason. They didn't win in the postseason, but he became a part of what was already a bit of a built-in core with a good coach. Pat Mahomes, when he got drafted, was part of a team that had made the playoffs the two previous seasons. Alex Smith was their quarterback, you know, the ultimate game manager. Smith then, uh, I believe, either gets traded or released. Mahomes takes over, and he's breaking records in his first full season. That was the Kansas City model. My friends, what is the Kansas City model? Explain it to me in words. What it is? Well, Mike, I know you're not interested in the, the mathematical equation. What is it? But it's winning as an organization and everyone doing their part. For the no, it's not. You dope is not anything like that. You know, Matt Stafford. That speaks for itself. Matt Stafford, an amazing talent. He goes to LA, already one of the most talented teams, and football wins a Super Bowl. Tom Brady, when he goes to the Bucks, well the Bucs weren't world beaters, I believe they were uh, hovering around 500 that last year under Jameis Winston. It felt like they had a core. They just needed a new quarterback who wasn't going to throw 35 picks a year. You plug in Brady, Gronk, and some of Brady's boys onto that roster, guess what? They win, in the, they win the Super Bowl his first year there. There is one exception, and it's the Bengals, where it really felt like overnight, once Burrow got there, they just instantly got good. Now drafting Jamar Chase and making some of the moves that they made after Burrow's rookie year, paid dividends, but they made it to the Super Bowl and almost won the Super Bowl last year without an offensive line. Like, Burrow was a huge part of that. But that is an exception and not the rule. What worries me is that the Lions draft Malik Willis and he balls out. He turns out to be the guy. He's the dude. He's slinging it. He's the new Pat Mahomes. He's the new Josh Allen. He's the new Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Even if he is that, it's still going to be two or three years before the Lions can build a core around him that's going to win 11, 12 games and win a playoff game. I would prefer they go with a guy who has a bit of a higher floor with that first pick and then next year or the year after you try to supplement uh, that good roster with a talented quarterback. Just my two cents. I have faith in Brad Holmes. I have faith in the Lions GM, which is something that I haven't been able to say. I don't think any of us have been able to say in our lifetimes, if you are my age. So, If it happens, I'm not going to be upset by it. But I think the better way to go would be to plug in some of the other holes first and then bring in your guy. And and I think last year's draft was a prime example of that, where there was people, and I may or may not have been one of those people who was like, man, go ahead and draft Justin Fields. Draft Justin Fields. Get your quarterback. Well, they didn't. They got Penny Sewell in the first round, and they got Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round, I believe, who was a dynamic rookie uh, who came alive, I believe, was Rookie of the Month in December, uh, in the, the final month of the season there. And now you have two guys who, for the foreseeable future, are going to be key pieces of your offense. If you could add more, add a D rusher, add a safety, you know, really fill. I mean, the defense was awful last year. I mean, that, that's really what's got to change. Is you got to get some defenders, and that's why you know, if Hutchinson is available, I would be really fine with the the uh, Lions grabbing him. I think it would be an amazing story. I hope he does fall to them at number two. But get your guys first, then get your quarterback. That's where I stand. Lastly, I do want to talk a little bit of Tigers spring training news. Not a ton to report on, necessarily. Not a whole lot has changed. Good swings by Spencer Torkelson. Riley Green's had some struggles. I think the offense as a whole has looked a little bit sluggish. Jamer, after starting out spring, I think 0-for-11, including six straight strikeouts, had a home run yesterday. Haas had a nice little game yesterday. Guys are coming along. I think that the offense is starting off a little bit slow. It's kind of like just getting your car started in the winter, but I think those guys will come along. I'm not really worried about that. I don't know how good or bad the Tigers are going to be. I mean, I've said I think they're going to be good. But I've also said that good is a very, you know, that's a very vague uh, term. It could mean a lot of different things. It could mean 105 wins. It could also mean 85. I don't know how many home runs they're going to hit. I don't know what their team OPS will be. The one thing I can confidently say is if this team stays healthy, they are going to win a lot of games with their pitching. Eduardo Rodriguez looks great. And that that's my my bold prediction for this team this year. I think this team has one all-star. I bet it's him. I think his stuff is going to play so well at Comerica. I think his stuff is going to play so well in, in that division. And I think he's got a little bit of something to prove. You know, he had such an amazing year in 2019 when he finished sixth for the Cy Young did not play in the COVID year. Because uh, he had COVID and he developed a heart condition last year was the unluckiest pitcher in baseball. I think he's a guy that plays with a bit of a chip on his shoulder. You've seen him in the postseason; he'll get a little bit pissed off, and you see him pitch some good baseball in the postseason in the past. Had a pretty darn good start against the Astros in the uh, ALCS a season ago. I think he's really hungry, and he seems to be in midseason form. Yesterday, Casey Mize pitched three innings, three scoreless innings with six strikeouts. I put this in a blog I wrote, but the Yankees lineup was bad. I mean, no Donaldson, no LeMayhew, no Judge, no Stanton. It was a group of uh, AAA players for the most part, and Anthony Rizzo, I believe, played as well. But Mize's stuff looks explosive. It looks really, really good. And one thing that AJ Hinch and Chris Feder have talked about, mainly, mainly Hinch, is that velocity is not the end-all be-all for him. Now, you're not going to turn a guy away like a Gregory Soto who's wild as hell but throws 100 miles per hour. But I think when it comes to starters. AJ Hinch says, we teach our pitchers to get outs. And how do people get outs? They get outs by having their mechanics down, by making sure their delivery is fluid. I think they have tried to beat that into these guys' heads. And last year, there were people, myself included, who were like, man, it just, Matt Manning's hovering around 92. Casey Mize is hovering around like 93. What's the deal? And they were just teaching these guys how to pitch. And when that happens, and when the mechanics and the delivery become second nature, you find that velocity. And so far in spring training, I know there's a, a theory out there that radar guns run run hot in spring, 96-97 out of Casey Mize. But it's not just swing and miss fastballs and elevated fastballs. You're seeing him pitch. You're seeing him throw that splitter. You're seeing him try out the curveball and the slider. I think that any pitcher, and we saw Matt Manning a few springs ago really struggle with this. Uh, we saw saw Verlander uh, used to do this. He did it in the All-Star Game one year, cost his home field advantage where guys go out in these starts where they know they're not going to pitch a lot of innings and they just try to show off the fastball, just try to show off the velocity. They throw, they don't necessarily pitch. And when I see Casey Mize's location right now, when I see the pitch selection, and I see the confidence in which he's throwing his fastball, it makes me think, yeah, this number one pick he's looking like a number one pick. He's looking like the guy we hoped he would be when we drafted him out of Auburn. Not to say that he was bad last year. Casey Mize had a very, very good rookie season, but I think even more so than the other two, Manning is still a project in Scooball we know how good his stuff is. It felt like there was another gear to Mize that had yet to be reached. And so far in spring, it seems like he's finding that gear. The difference between Casey Mize being a number three, like, serviceable starter in Major League Baseball to a Cy Young caliber pitcher will be whether or not he's able to miss bats. Well, how's he going to miss bats? Well, that splitter's going to have to come along, because that was that was basically why he went number one overall. I mean, obviously, he had a good repertoire of pitches, good velocity, but to come out of college... With such a devastating splitter, which was rated, you know, like the best pitch in that draft class, essentially, and he was really good in the minor leagues, it was inconsistent last year. I think it's kind of an inconsistent pitch with him. He even owned up to it, where he said, yeah, some days last year I felt it, and I felt like it was really good, and I could miss bats with it, and sometimes I didn't. I think the key for him will be keeping that pitch consistent, because if it's consistent, he's going to miss bats with it, and if he misses bats with it, um, he's going to be pretty darn good. This team's going to have pitching. They're going to have a deep staff. They're going to have a good staff. Some of the bullpen guys have looked a bit erratic. Falmer had a really bad outing uh, a, a few days ago. Soto's been Soto. He's wild. We're yet to really see much out of Cisnero. We saw Chafin pitch an inning. Those guys will come along, though, and they're really only pitching one inning at a time anyway. But this starting staff, which this entire rebuild has been built around. I mean, Al said forever, you know, we, we want to get the pitching right first, okay? I think that part of the rebuild is close to completion. I think the pitching is close to there. These guys are going to grow and they're going to take their lumps still. You know, three of these guys are only in their second years manning really in, in only his first full season, but I think they got a good starting staff. So please stay healthy and they're going to win a lot of games 3 to 2 cuz I think that they have pitchers that are going to be capable of shutting down some pretty good lineups. All right, that'll do it for this show. You can follow me on Twitter, at Castellani2014. While you're at it, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get those watch hours up, up, up. Now, if you're still watching, which I still get messages about this, even though I talked about it on the last show, pay attention, people. This is going to be part of the lesson plan. This is going to be a podcast here soon. I was talking to my producer, Matt. He's done an unbelievable job of figuring this out at some point in the near future. This show will be at least on Apple Podcasts and I would guess on Spotify as well. I don't know if it'll be the next program. If it is, I'll let all of you know on social media. But yeah, this this will be a podcast. And and I'm really happy about that. This show, while I want to create video content and I want to do this on YouTube, this is a show that um, given the format and given the fact that it's just me talking, in many ways would work better as an audio-only thing. You don't need to see my ugly mug, it, you know, twice a week for half an hour I understand so that will happen and when that does happen I'll link to it I'll tell people to subscribe on Spotify iTunes wherever we're going to work that out we are still in the very early stages of development with this program and I appreciate all of your patience I know I was just joking around about this being in the lesson plan look I-, I love you guys to death and girls this is this is an all-encompassing podcast for watching this show and uh, subscribing and spreading the word keep continuing to do that because um you know We're doing it for Barstool, baby. So thank you very much for watching, everybody. Have a great rest of your weekend. I will be back here on Monday recapping the weekend. Peace and happiness.